listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Let's get into Exodus chapter 20. We are looking at the fourth command. We are working through the, the Ten Commandments here. And I really doubt that any of you last night or any night this week laid awake just worried and wondering and stressed in great consternation about the possibility possibility that you were possibly breaking the fourth command. I mean, most of us don't even really think about this that much. However, maybe there are many of you that have laid awake throughout the course of this past week in the middle of the night, greatly stressed or troubled or troubled and filled with anxiety throughout the day because you are not living by the principles set forth in God's word when it comes to our work when it comes to how we are to work and how we are to rest. This week, my eyes have definitely been opened into the reality of God's word and the principles that we see here in this command. And so I'm going to read, let's get right to God's word, Exodus 20, verse 8. We're going to start reading there so you can follow along. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Now, this is a command that God gave to his children, the Israelites. This was an enormous, a huge, loving gift from God to his children. He is basically saying, hey, time out, time out. On the seventh day, take a break. On the seventh day, you are to stop your work and make it like no other day. And the thing that is so true that we see here in this passage and the truth that we are going to be working through today is this. Work and rest are gifts from God. Work and rest are special gifts from God that he gives to us here on this earth. And for the Israelites up until this time, all they ever knew was work, 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 work. They had been slaves in Egypt. There was no days off. It was hard work and even at times before they ended up exiting it even got tougher even pharaoh made it more difficult there was no day off there was no holidays it was seven days a week it was work 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 and here god is telling his people take a day off here you go here is a gracious gift that i have for you and i want you to take and have a special day a day that is set apart a day that is like none other you are to rest from your labors you are to rest from the busyness of life and worship and celebrate and enjoy and be refreshed. And God was so serious about this command that a violation to violate the this fourth command was death. And in Exodus 31, in verse 14, it says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. God is pretty serious about this. I want you to take a break, and I know some of you are going to find that so hard, and if you get tempted to do it, we'll just have to kill you. You know, I mean, and, and he's serious. Take a break. In Numbers chapter 15, there's a man who got caught gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. He was taken out of the, 
taken outside the city, and he was stoned. This is serious. God wants his people to take a break, to rest. It's the rhythm in how we've been created, the rhythm of life that he has, has put into, into place for us. However, it's interesting, by the time of Jesus, this fourth command had become, uh, had turned into some very exotic legalisms. The, I mean, and, and just in studying and researching this week, it's, it's almost comical how this came down. The rabbinical leaders had come up with 39 different categories with a whole bunch of subpoints underneath those categories on how not to break the Sabbath. Under the category in, called the burdens or burdens, it was outlined like this. You are not to carry anything in your hand on the Sabbath day that is equal to or more than a dried fig. You could carry half a fig to be safe, and so people would carry something only the weight of half a fig, and heaven forbid, if you drop that half a fig in too short of a time and you go to pick it up, that constitutes a full fig, ah, violation of the Sabbath. This is how intent they were on making sure they didn't want to break it. You could pick up your child on the Sabbath, but before you did, you had to make sure there was nothing in their hand, because if there was, if there was a toy or whatever it is, a stick that they might have had it in their hand, if it's more than a fig, ah, violation of the Sabbath, you know, serious business. Um, another thing, you could salt your cucumber or your radish on the Sabbath by, I guess, dipping it in salt, but you could only do it for a short period of time because if you happen to do it for too long, it would constitute that that is now being pickled, uh, working on the Sabbath. So you're not supposed to, you know what, leave it in the salt for too long because you are doing this work. You could spit on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground. You could spit on a rock, but not on the dirt. You could spit in a handkerchief, but you could not spit on the ground because if your foot then came in contact with the saliva on the dirt, that constitutes cultivating the ground, uh, violation of the Sabbath. So that's just in one category, and they had a whole bunch of these. And so then you have Jesus coming along with his disciples being accused of at least six times of Sabbath violations. At one point, they were walking through a field and they were plucking off heads of grain and thrashing out on their hands and eating the grain, and they were being accused of breaking the Sabbath. The other things that Jesus was accused of was for healing sick people on the Sabbath. Now, understand this, folks, that Jesus and his disciples, they did not break the Sabbath in the way that God intended it. Yes, they broke the rabbinical extension to the Sabbath and to the laws that they had, but they did not break the law of God. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. Now, in this room, no doubt we have people from all different backgrounds and different understanding and even reactions to the fourth command. Some of us are even wondering, well, is it even really relevant today? Like, I mean, Sunday's just like any other day. Or is it, or is it Saturday? Because Sabbath is really technically Saturday. And, and, and so what are we supposed to do? We don't hear much about this these days. For both Charlotte and I growing up on farms in, in Saskatchewan, our dads being grain, uh, grain farmers and even our grandfathers doing that, they had a very serious 
principle that they followed that never would a tractor get started up, never even in the height of, of, of seeding in the spring or harvesting in the fall. Sunday was a day of rest. Sunday was a day you go to church, you serve within the church, you rest in the afternoon, you get together with family and friends, but never would you go out and seed your, your crops, nor would you harvest your crops. This was a special day. That's the way we grew up. In, in our own home. I remember the outcry as a teenager when Superstore was moving into Western Canada, and up until that time, stores were closed on Sundays. Some of you can't even remember that. You think, really? You mean Sunday wasn't always a shopping day? No, it was Superstore was the evil store that came in. I remember there was boycotts and there was all of this by the same people, uh, by the same Christian people that would go out on Sunday after dinner or after the service and eat the cheap chicken fingers and fries on Sunday. But they were upset that Superstore was opening and, and making a day of commerce and a day of trade. Uh, I remember also, too, in my first year of college, sneaking away... Sunday afternoon to go to a Rough Rider game without my parents knowing. Wouldn't you know they lost, which is nothing new. But then I also, I think our lights went out. You need to do a flick there. And, um, and, and so they ended up uh, losing the game, but they also, um, I got a parking ticket. Um, and, and I was surely convinced that that was a part of... Um, me breaking the Sabbath, as well as uh, breaking the fourth commandment, as well as the fifth commandment, not honoring my parents. Another one about bearing false witness. You know, I mean, I, I just thought this is, and it was an expensive one. Like back, it was $90. And back in the 80s, or, I mean, it, it wasn't maybe the 80s, well, it probably was the 80s. That was a lot of money, you know? And, and so all of us kind of at times wonder, um, I already, I, I showed you, I told you that the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was death. And in the Old Testament, in two places, we see in Amos 8 and in Jeremiah 17, that the reason given, even for the Israelite as a nation to be led into exile, the reason given in those passages was because they broke the Sabbath law. And really, the breaking of the Sabbath law is saying other things are more important than God, and so it's really breaking the first commandment. It's worshiping other things, so it's actually breaking the second commandment because no longer are you worshiping God, but you're worshiping other things. And so here we see that this was a serious thing. And we think, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal today, but there I wonder today if how many of us are slowly killing ourselves because of our work because of the stress, because of the anxiety that comes from too much work and not enough rest. Work and rest are gifts from God, and we are to take advantage, and we are to live out to the full both of these. Now, we might be thinking, you know what, today we are freed from the Old Testament technicalities of the law because Christ was the fulfillment of the law. And, and even in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not, the, not man for the, or uh, the Sabbath was made for man as a gracious gift. But it is vital that we observe, and we're going to dig into this today, what does it mean to observe the Sabbath rest? What does it mean to work? What is this work and rest all about? And Paul stated in Romans 14 and in Colossians 2, he, he reminds us, don't get caught up on the technicalities. Don't make it about the day. You are to make the principles and, and, and what we see throughout the New Testament and the practice of the early church, we are to take notice of that and to live that out in our lives today. Because sadly, for many of us, 
Sadly, in our society here in, in, in North America, Sunday has just become another day. It's become a day of work, a day of commerce, of pleasure, of doing whatever you want. It's a catch-up day. It's a day for sports. It's a day for sleep. It's doing whatever I want to do because that's my Sunday. You know, and, uh, and worship, going to church, serving within the church, it's optional. It's intermittent. It's if I feel like it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, like if I feel like it, you know, if nothing else better comes up, yeah, I think I can go. And we can be in serious violation of these principles that God has given to us. But you can also be sitting in church 52 out of 52 Sundays a year and still be missing out on the intended reason and purpose of the Sabbath. And so let's dig into God's word here and see that work and rest are gifts from God. And the first of all, we are to work. First thing, I encourage you to write this down. We should have it up on the screen. We are to work and we are to work hard. In verse 9, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is ordained by God. It is we, we are given a job to do, every one of us. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15, it says God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and they were to work. They were to, to look after and care for the garden. And their work, it was to be a joy. Now, how many of you enjoy gardening? I know a number of you do. And I mean, you love digging around in the dirt. The only thing you don't like are the, are, are, are the uh, weeds and even now, Charlotte's telling me she's in our garden and she's getting bit by all these large red ants. And it's a pain. Like there's something glorious about gardening. There's something terrible about gardening. Well, for Adam and Eve, this was the best job ever. This is what they were called to do. This is what they were created to do. They were to take care. It was a perfect job. And God says, here's your job. Take care of the Garden of Eden. Make sure it, it, it prospers. Do a great job of it. It was a great job. God has ordained for all of us to work in one capacity or another, whether that's in retail, whether in the office, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, whether it's a volunteer in some area to be self-employed, retired. You might be a CEO. You might be a CFO. You might be an EIEIO on the funny farm of life. Doesn't matter. It may feel like that sometimes the way your life is. We are to work, and we are to work hard. I remember there were six kids in our family, and one time my dad tells a story about this Polish farmer coming onto our property, and he pulled up, and, and uh, my mom comes to meet him. He rolls down his window, and all of us kids are running around, and she says, he, and he says in this Polish accent, um, hey, do you have a monkey ranch? And, and she says, no, 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 these are all my children. Uh, what he was looking for was a monkey ranch, but uh, she thought it was monkey ranch because oftentimes I think it de definitely felt like our house was a monkey ranch. But um, no matter what it is, God has called us. He's given us work to do, and we are to do it. Work is ordained by God to sit around Sorry, and this is so good, the timing. In easy, comfy chairs like this, day in and day out, and live the high life and put your arm, you know, like we are, or we are ordained by God to be people who work. So work is ordained by God. Work is a blessing. Work is a way that we provide, that, that God uses for us to provide for ourselves and for others. When you receive a paycheck, whether small or large, be thankful. Our daughter has recently started a job at a coffee shop and she's really enjoying it. And the thing she enjoys the most is she goes online and she's able to check her bank account. She's like, woohoo, I got paid. And, and there's some excitement and she's thankful and she's excited to be able to do it. Work is a blessing. 
we should be thankful for it. And, and, and it's through our work and by our work that we are able to bless and we are able to provide for our family and for others and to enjoy life. Work is a blessing. But also something else we see, work is a curse. For Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, when they chose to sin, they chose to suffer. And because of that, work has been cursed. Thorns, thistles, the sweat of the brow. You say, you're right, work is a curse. I hate it. It's terrible. Even the perfect job is not the perfect job. Because even the perfect job has its politics and its struggles and its resistance. And there's the yucky jobs and there's the great job, great, great parts to it. But work is cursed. And we will never find our full and our true fulfillment in the work that we do. You just won't. You think you can't? You think you will? You think, oh, when I get this job, when I get this position, oh, it's going to be so awesome. And then you get there and it's, 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 it's the next step. It's the next step. Or it's, oh, I didn't realize I'd have to do this and this and this. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I like this so much. Or else you climb the ladder of success and then you come to the end of your life and you're like, I've been climbing up the wrong ladder. It's the wrong thing. Is this all there is? It's not satisfying. It won't satisfy. Work is a curse. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 affirms that and, and encourage you to read that. The writer of Ecclesiastes even just says, all the toil that we do under the sun, it's, it's meaningless, it's worthless, it's hard. And little wonder that the majority of people in North America, probably the majority of people here in this room is just like, oh, work. Don't like it. Some of you have to go to work today. Some of you have to go to work tomorrow. Some of you have to go to work sometime this week or, or have different roles and responsibilities you need to do, and it's just like, oh, this is tough going. I'd love to sit in an easy chair like this day in and day out. Another thing that can happen in this kind of sadly, work can become our identity. If we're not careful, it becomes our identity. In our society, it's so often, it sends a message that your worth is wrapped up by what you do, by the title behind your name, by the position you have. And sometimes you'll hear that, that, that some people are very quick to be able to share, you know, oh yes, I'm, and, and they give their role and they give you their, their title and different things like that. And, and, and it's easy for our identity to become wrapped up in our work. And God says, no, 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 no. And this is part of the reason why he's saying, take a break. Take a break and get your identity wrapped around the right person. Don't get it around your work. Don't get it around your boss. Don't get it around the... Get your identity, understand your identity, my identity, everything is found in Christ. No matter what it is. Now our work is the primary way that God uses. He's ordained it, as I've already said. He's blessed it for us to meet our needs and to care for, for others. But one of the problems and one of the dangers is, is we start using our work to trust in our work and not trust in God to take care of us. And so we have to work harder. We've got to get more. We've got to get more sales. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to impress the boss. We've got to do all this. And we forget that ultimately it's God who provides for us. God is faithful. He takes care of his children. Our identity doesn't need to be wrapped up in that. Our identity is to be in Christ. He is to sustain us. And so God gives us this command to ensure that our work does not replace God. That once a week we are being reminded that our job is in God's hands. That our provision, it's, it's, it's all God. He will provide. He will take care of us. Get your focus and your trust around him. Get your worship not on your job, not on the title, not on your stuff, not on your bank accounts. Get your worship back on him. 
Our work is to be a form of worship. It's one of the ways we worship God. We, we do all of these things for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever we do, in word, in deed, whatever we do, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. We're not doing it for our glory. We're not doing it for the glory of the company. We're doing it for the glory of God. Whether you are enjoying your job, you're in the job of your dreams, or you're just slugging it out, just like putting in time till the next thing comes along, or putting in time till retirement, or for kids, or whatever it might be. You know, I'm just, you know, just, just, just kind of trying to plow through this. Whatever it is, we are to be doing it to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not for ourselves, not for our reputation, but ultimately for God. Our work is to be our worship. Colossians 3.22 and Ephesians 6, you can write down those passages. I think they're listed there. Um, uh, Ephesians 6 is also uh, a part of that there. Paul is writing to the people. He's writing to people who are slaves, who had it tough, who were working hard. And you know what he's even saying here? Obey your earthly masters. Obey your boss. Not just to please them, but to please ultimately, to please God. Even when your boss isn't looking, work hard. We all have the junky stuff that we have to do in life. Work hard. It's kind of interesting, just even in, in uh, the, the kids' theater, just with the, the work that, that, that's been done here, I noticed um, there's some work that maybe wasn't done all that well, and we couldn't find one of our power uh, plug-ins, the power outlets this morning. And, and here in carpeting the walls, one of them just happened to get um, carpeted over. Thank goodness for Don and X-Acto knives, and, and uh, we're able to light up the kids' theater a little bit better, you know, and, and, and at times, you know what, like, we are to work hard, we are to work well, we are to work with a full shovel, because our work is our witness. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, it says, whatever you do, whatever God puts in your hand, work with all your might. Here's a picture of, of my church, uh, of the office that, that I get to use at the church over at our church office facility and as you can see this was taken Friday a lot of paper a lot of stuff all over the place you see what's in the kind of on the wall there that's mounted on on the wall there anyone know what that is I think it's pretty obvious but yeah it's a half a shovel and this shovel has 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 come from Alberta where we used to live here to Kelowna it's been in my garage it's been in in offices where I've been able to work out of it's traveled to Ontario with me when I got to preach at Harvest Oakville our sending church I took the shovel with me Uh, I mean that gets some strange looks from people but it's like this is a reminder and I used it in the sermon there I didn't take it off the wall today because it's a little 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 finicky but you know I I thought I'd grab the picture it's a reminder every time I come walking in the offices don't give half a shovel you give a full shovel Give a full shovel to what you're doing. Give it your best. You're doing it not to please man, not for the glory of man. You're doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it because of what he has done. He has given you his best. He has given his son. And when his son came to this earth, he gave his best. He came, he served in humility. He went, he did the disgusting jobs that others weren't willing to do. He hung out with people that the rest of the elite of society wouldn't hang out with. He gave a full shovel. In the same way, whatever we do and the work you do, how mundane, how disgusting. I mean, Jordan, in the work you do of changing little Finn's diapers, do a great job. Sometimes those guys will purposely, I've heard, do a poor job changing diapers so then we don't get on diaper duty and somebody else has to do it, you know? And so, no, you give a full shovel. <laughs> and sometimes you need a shovel, you know? And uh, I mean, just the reality, right? But work is to be our witness because... When, when people see how we work, 
And then they find out that that person is a believer in Christ, that we love Jesus and we're serving him. I would hope they would say, that makes sense. That person works with integrity. That person is honest. He's not cutting corners. She's not doing stuff that she shouldn't be doing. She's reporting it all. She's, she, he, he's, he's fully giving full disclosure. He's, he's at times having to do the tough stuff. It's working for the glory of God as a witness for Christ because our testimony is tied to how we work. We work for God's glory. And remember this, that God is using your work to work on you. Whether it is a great job and it's the best job ever, Teach you, hey, your identity, though, isn't found in that. Or if it's a stinky job, he's wanting to teach you lessons in the midst of the stink. That he has a plan, he's a purpose, and he can give you joy even in the midst of that. So that is a reminder about work. But second of all, we need to see that we are to rest and we are to rest well. So if we are to work and we are to work hard, we're also to rest. This is a gracious gift from God, what he's given to us. This rest thing. He wants us to rest. And he wants us to rest well. But also rest according to his word. And and that's what we're going to dig into here. And so we see this, that we are to rest and rest well. Verse 10, it says, The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. Because God just knew that we are going to try to find loopholes weren't we? Well, I'm not going to work, but hey, kid, you know, you go do this work. Doesn't count if, you know, I'm the chief breadwinner in the house, so I'll just get the kid to do this, or hey, we'll get the slave to do it, or we'll, you know, I mean, he's given some pretty strict orders here, you know, like no one works, okay? For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh. And so he's saying, rest. Rest is ordained by God. It is a gift of God for his creation. It says that the Lord rested on the seventh day. Well, was God tired from creating so much on the sixth day that he needed? He was just wiped out? No. He's all, all powerful. He's omnipotent. But what he was doing was setting a rhythm for his creation. That on the seventh day, we are to rest. God set a pattern for us. And so he says, take the day and make it holy. It's not to be like any other day. Sunday or the day that, we, that is our Sabbath day, our rest day, is to be a day like none other. It is to be a day unto the Lord. In the Old Testament, we see that the Sabbath was on Sunday. In the New Testament, we see a shift after the, erection, after the erection, <laughs> resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, on the first day of the week being Sunday, there was a shift that ended up happening to make Sunday the day of worship. The shift started to take place. For the first while, the early church, they would go to work on Sunday, which was like our Monday, and they would, they would worship before they would go to work, then they'd go to work, and then oftentimes they'd worship together in the evening. It wasn't until about the 4th century when Constantine made it Sunday the official day of worship for the Christian church. It was all building towards that, but finally by the 4th century, he said Sunday is the official day for worship. It is a day that we remember what what Jesus Christ has done on his, uh, with the, the resurrection from the dead. Remember, it is not the day that's important. It's obeying the principles of the Sabbath that God sets into place for us. That it is to be a day that we rest from our ordinary, our regular labor, and it is a day reserved for the Lord. 
and for his work. And see, what rest does is rest reestablishes the rhythm in how we were created. God says, one in seven, you need to rest. That's how I made you. That's how I wired you. That's a hard wiring in your system. And life is going to be better, far better, if you live by this principle. And so many scientists and doctors in that will, will, will talk about the benefits of a good night's sleep, but also about taking time to rest. There's something about that. Our bodies need time to rest, refocus, and recharge. During the French Revolution, they wanted to cut out um, anything that was religious in its culture, in culture, any sort of religious influence from society, and so to improve, increase production as well as to kind of get rid of the Christian Sabbath, kind of taking that, that, that day for the Lord, they decided to make a 10-day work week that you get one day off in 10. And, and it went over terribly. Finally, uh, different scientists and doctors pled with them and said, even if it's not for the sake of religion, if you would do it for the sake of the health of the people. The people were getting tired of Communism tried to get rid of the seven-day work week to, to try to mix it up a little bit. Messed with the people royally. Because something internally, something in how we are created, it's one in seven. And, and you can find all kinds of um, non-biblical studies that will just back that up over and over again. The nations have tried to do it. They failed. Don't mess with the hard wiring the way that we've been made. It's one in seven. And sometimes spiritually, though, however, and, 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 and this isn't just about, you know what, sleeping all day. It's not the day to sleep in and just do whatever you want, lounge around in your boxers or in your pajamas or whatever it is and, and eat brunch whenever you feel like it kind of thing. No, it's more than that. But sometimes the best way to get some good rest and sometimes the best thing that you need or your kids need or that others need is a good rest. Take a look at this video. I might reaffirm this. Did you have a nap today? <laughs> I did! <laughs> what? You need one. No, I don't! Don't you just love that? I mean, you know, you, did you have your nap? You know, and yeah, I didn't, but you know what? I, I, you definitely need one. Sometimes the best thing for us is a good nap or a good night's sleep, or a weekend away of just resting and, and, and taking it easy, unplugging from everything. But the Sabbath rest isn't just about not doing nothing. It's about using it as a day for the Lord. Verse 10, it says, It is a day to be set apart, a day like no other. And the Sabbath literally means to rest, to cease from our regular labors and rest. Rest means that we are to refocus our minds. We are to remember our redemption. We are to rejoice in the resurrection as well. It also, rest helps to realign our priorities. And I'm talking about biblical rest, what we're going to see here. It's, not, it's a day for action, not a day of inaction. A day to fulfill the purposes and the agenda that the Lord has, not our own personal agendas and purposes. We are to take time each week to refocus, to be able to worship. And sometimes people, because of shift work and the kind of work that you have, you have to work on a Sunday. You need to find another time in the week that you are able to do this, to be able to rest, relax, refocus, remember our redemption. And we kind of think, well, can I just get that done in like 15 minutes and, and then I'm good to go? No, there's something important about unplugging. 
It's a time where we, each one of us, we need to refocus our minds and our hearts on the Lord. Our work, our worry, our commitments, the extracurricular activities take so much time, so much energy, and we're running around. They end up dominating our lives and quickly replace God, and they become our God. And we need to get our eyes back on the Lord, back on Jesus. We're like batteries. We just can't stay charged all the time. We need to, to, to get plugged in. We need to get recharged, and that happens weekly. We need to have that as a regular basis in our life, part of the, the flow of our lives. It's the rhythm in which we are created. God works in and through his community, in and through biblical community. Isn't it a day just to go off by yourself? You see that when God is working on an individual, some, he, he will work in our individual lives, but it just doesn't end with us. It is to be resulted in community around us. It is to have an effect on others around us by serving them, by teaching, by sharing with them. We just don't take the blessing of God and keep it, you know, just like, you know, it all bubbled up like in a, in a jar and sealed. It is to be, we receive from God and we are to be an outflow of his work, of his blessing, of his redemptive news that, that he has, has given for us to share. God works through community. And, and Hebrews 10.25 is so clear that we are not to neglect meeting together, the regular meeting together of fellow brothers and sisters. And when we purposefully choose to not do it, we're violating the principles of Scripture which God has commanded for us. And as we gather together, battle-weary, worn out, stressed out, tired, fearful, others are joyful and others are pumped and, and ready to go and take the world. And as we gather together in community and we give it our full shovel when it comes to even our engagement of God in worship, that when we come in together on a Sunday morning, that, that we're coming with a spirit of expectancy, knowing I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, not just for food that you might enjoy afterwards, but spiritually I'm drained and I, 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 I'm trusting and asking and believing God to refresh me and to restore me and to renew my life and to renew this in community. God's glory shows up when his people are coming with a one heart, one mind kind of voice and focus. And we need that. And so we remember, as we gather together, we remember our redemption. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, when, when Moses is retelling the law, Moses adds this to the fourth commandment. He says this, after he repeats the fourth commandment, which I've already read to you, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They are to remember their redemption. We are to remember our redemption. That's what we are to do on a Sabbath. That's what we do on a Sunday as we worship God, as we go to his word, because we're so quick to forget that once we were slaves, just like the Israelites just, just quickly forgot what it was like in Egypt, and that the Lord delivered you and brought you out. And our main goal on a Sunday is for you to be reminded of our redemption, what Christ has done for us. That without Christ, we are slaves. We are lost. We are separated from God. And that's where we once were. But when we respond to Christ, when he is our Lord and our Savior, we're no longer slaves. We've been set free. And that's what we need to keep reminding ourselves because we're going to become enslaved to worry. We're going to come enslaved to our jobs, to our bank accounts, to, to other people's wants and wishes for our lives. That's why we need to remember our redemption. When we gather together, we are to rejoice in the resurrection. Sunday became known as the Lord's Day. 
Sunday for the early church was a celebration of Christ's victory over sin and death and, and, and the grave. That's why it was called, the name for it was the Lord's Day. And you see that throughout the New Testament. Sunday was now referred to as no longer the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day. And see, at Harvest, we get pretty excited about Easter. We, we do that cheer thing, and we build up for it, and it's a special Sunday. Well, technically, really, in reality, every Sunday should be Easter Sunday, where it's a Lord's Day, where we remember his victory over death, that one day, too. We know that our bodies are failing and dying, and sometimes on a Sunday, we report that someone has passed away, or we see what's going on in this world, but we, we are reminded Sunday after Sunday that death will be swallowed up in victory, and that heaven is for the child of God, and we, we have a reason and a purpose to rejoice like none other. And so, we get excited about what he has done. And so come on Sundays with an expectant heart, ready to meet with God because he has the victory. We're not coming, we don't, we don't come to church looking for human intervention in our lives, but a supernatural touch from God. And when we come with expectant and humble and seeking hearts, God shows up. It's a day to rejoice. It's a day to be with God's people. One of the things that, that is a family, even for us, even when we're away on holidays, we, we try very hard to adjust our schedule and to make it so that whether we are um, in, in Saskatchewan, whether we've been in Florida, different places, that, that on the Lord's Day on Sunday, we, we get together with God's people. There's something special. Some, it's not that we have to. Sometimes we have violated it. But you know what? The week just seems extra long when you miss being together with with fellow believers. And even we've been in some very unique settings and, and just like, wow, that was different. Remember that one church in Cold Lake, Alberta, they had a very interesting worship team and there was a song, I'll probably never forget it because it just went line after line of, oh, sinner man, oh, sinner man. And, and it just kind of kept going like this. And afterwards, we were driving home and our very young kids at that time, Nate was singing in the back, oh, sinner man, where have you gone to or something? I don't even know how it goes. I don't even know. It's probably uh, uh, just a song that church really loved, I guess. But anyways, I mean, you just get some unique experience. You get blessed by being with other believers in Christ. Another thing that the rest does, that we are to rest and rest well and, and to make it a special day for the Lord is it realigns our priorities. It is a day for us to remember what is truly important. It's not a day for inaction. It's a day for action. We don't make the day holy by doing nothing by having Pastor Pillow ministering to you at Bedside Community Church. It's not, it's not what it's about. It's, it's a day to serve, to teach, to worship, to fellowship together, to battle together with these battle-weary believers that, that it's just like we're, we're not going to let the enemy win. We're going to forge through in victory. We're going to trust them in this area in our lives. What a joy it was this morning to pray with the dear sister who's just had a number of unfortunate incidences and, and passing of loved ones in, in her life in the last little, little while just to take time. And, and she's tired and weary. And just what a joy it is to be able to pray with that person. And anyone can do it. We are all priests. We believe in the priesthood of all believers that, that we can, can go to God and bring the needs of one another to him in prayer. And so when we come together to worship, something powerful happens. When we give that full shovel, even when it comes to how we listen to God's word, how we sing, how we worship, something beautiful can happen in community. 
So oftentimes, the common excuse people give for missing church are, you know, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm, I'm too stressed, or whatever it is. That may be part of the reason why you are too tired and too busy and too stressed is because you are not honoring God in these ways. You have become the little G God. It's your plans, your priorities, and God has to fit on my schedule. And if it, he happens to fit, then I'll, then I'll do it. And the Sabbath rest realigns our priorities with God. It reminds us who's important. And one of the beautiful ways that we can go about doing that then is by serving and, and serving and helping one another. And, and you might, you know, giving God a day in the week, one in seven, is an area of trust. You might say, but how can I get all the things done? You know what, I work throughout the week and then there's all kinds of other chores that I, I need to do and so Sunday afternoons, whenever it is, that becomes my time to get things done or Sunday mornings, whenever it is. Can you take and trust God for one in seven? One in seven? I'm going to give one in seven a day to God and I'm going to trust that he's going to multiply the hours in the rest of those days. There'll be some discipline in there but trust God for him to multiply that. It's just like tithing. What, tithing? Giving 10%? You're not serious, like giving 10%. I mean, I need that 10%. I mean, that's like a mortgage payment. That's like rent. That's, you know. And yet it comes down to, will you trust God to provide for you for the other 90%? It really shows who we trust. We trust Christ for our salvation for heaven, but we won't trust him for anything else. We won't trust him to provide for us financially or to get everything done in the day. And by setting aside a day in the week, a portion of our financial resources from our bank accounts, from our income, and we give it to God, we make that day holy, we give God that sacrifice, he's honored, he's worshipped. And God multiplies it. He enhances our rest. He provides in ways that we can never comprehend. You know, church planting for me and for my family has been probably one of the greatest challenges as well as one of the greatest joys. Sunday afternoon when the trailer has left and, and we make it home and, and there's usually one place in the garage when I'm walking in and I'm going past the deep freeze, it's just become a little place where I just kind of smirk and I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. But boy, that was a good day. And just being a part of a hands-on way, doing Levitical work, set up and take down of the tabernacle, Sunday after Sunday, so people can gather together in a place that shows a lot of other junk throughout the course of the week, and to be able to come and worship the King of Kings and to be a part of the restoration work that God wants to do in this city, in this region. I mean, how exciting is that? And it's something that we can all be a part of it. If you're not, you're missing out. Nowhere does it say that we just come and we consume. We come and we give. We give ourselves in worship. We give ourselves in meeting one another, in bringing food for people to enjoy afterwards, for set up, take down, in serving in Harvest Kids. There's a joy that ends up happening. And I'm telling you, by Sunday afternoon, usually I, I take a nap, like for at least 10 minutes, and, and that's about it. Charlotte is able to nap much longer than that, but I get 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know, and usually a bike ride or a walk or something like that, just, you know what, just, just resting in what God has done. But we need time to plug in, and usually that's where Mondays I try to unplug from the busyness of life. But being able to work alongside other servants gives me so much joy. I am so blown away by you folks, by the, your love, your commitment to, 
those who serve in Harvest Kids, those who serve greeting in the lobby, set up, take down. When you come in, and I know some of you have gone through a hard week, and I'm able to turn around. Sometimes it's not the best sitting on the front, but it's the best seats. I encourage you to sit up front as close as possible. It's awesome. Uh, but you know what? When you, you kind of do that little look, and you just see people who've gone through a hard week, and yet they are worshiping God, that inspires me. That encourages me that God is faithful, that God will see us through. There's something so important about the gathering together. We don't neglect that. It's a day of rest, but rest looks different. It's not a day of, of inaction, but a day of action, giving our best.